0: Welcome back to the Baropolis podcast. As always, I am joined by Nathan and it's been a while, hasn't it? Obviously, it, it it we really want it to be recording. We felt, and I'm sure obviously by now, everyone's aware. Everyone watched the playoff final yesterday and it was a game that didn't include Middlesbrough. It didn't go the way we all wanted it, It to, the way we all thought it might. Nathan, obviously we now know the winners, Luton Town, congratulations to them for winning the playoff final. Obviously, throwing it back to what seems a lifetime ago, the last podcast we recorded was off the back of a fairly positive first leg in the playoffs, which we all felt was going to be the sort of springboard that we needed for another special night at the Riverside. And actually, it was the complete opposite to that. Um, I think the dust finally settled. It hit us both like a ton of bricks. Um, but yeah, here we are now, Nathan. Firstly, how are you? How have you been? And obviously, let's talk about Coventry for a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm all right, Chris. Yeah, um, as you say, it's been over a week now since the uh, the playoff semi final second leg, and yeah, I think um, really it was uh, a game that was something where going off the back of the first leg, we thought it'd stand us in good stead, but it wasn't to be. But I think that's sort of my uh, my mindset at the minute. It wasn't to be. And we've just got to move on and look forward to next season. And, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to, to next season already, if I'm honest. Um, but, yeah, in terms of personally, yeah, finished university now. So that is a massive bonus, a massive weight off the shoulders as well. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm buzzing with that. But, yeah, looking forward to a, a good summer. And then hopefully come August, Michael Carrick's tricky Reds are, are back and ready to go again.
0: Yeah, I mean, in, in fairness to you, Nathan, it had all the hallmarks of a potential of the greatest summer of your life, didn't it, really? I mean, finishing you one thing. The weight of that off your shoulders. And then yesterday could have been just the, the cherry on the cake, obviously. But as we say, it, it wasn't meant to be. Listen, obviously, enough time has gone by where we're not sort of going to, you know, go over it like we would in a typical podcast throughout the season. In terms of the game, just quickly, it was it was really a case of the Middlesbrough side that we've known, we've come to know under Michael Carrick, free-flowing football in the final third, lots of goals, a constant attacking threat, balls into the box from Ryan Giles it just didn't really sort of get going or, or I'd even probably say turn up on the night. And I must say, before we sort of go off about ourselves, Coventry, in fairness to them, did a complete job on us. The experience of Mark Robbins, defended ever so well, defended their box, sat in and had a game plan, even if it wasn't good on the eye idea with a team that got to Wembley. So before any angry Coventry fans come at me, there you go. That's uh that's your little pre-warning. Uh, but, yeah, Nathan, it's a game where I think in, in years to come, people will just look back and think, we just, I don't know, it almost passed us by the occasion, really.
1: Yeah, it did. I think um, going into the game and seeing sort of the atmosphere and the build-up to the game, um, it felt like... Everything was teed up for it to be a massive night and all we needed was for the team to almost just turn up and uh, the the result would go in our favour. But yeah, as you say, Coventry came to the Riverside and just negated pretty much every threat that we had. Um, They didn't let Archer in behind. Akapon wasn't in the game. Of course, force played. Um, in the second leg and he was okay probably not fully fit um, but we had to try something Um, and yeah unfortunately it it just wasn't our night Um, and and over the course of the two ties in the playoffs and also uh, the final game of the season I think that we didn't create enough uh, clear-cut opportunities, really, uh, especially in that second leg, playing at home. I can't really remember Ben Wilson having to make too many saves. Um, and at the end of the day, it boils down to to, to scoring your goals and, and keeping it out at the other end. And Yeah, we uh, tried to throw a few a few men forward uh, early on in the second half and Coventry do what they do best. Um, they're one of the best teams in the division. At uh counter-attacking and the play, a ball in behind for Yokares. He flicks it round Stefan and the uh the two two best players for Coventry and and arguably two of the best players in the division combine for uh, a, a really good goal in, in terms of Hamer not taking the shot on early, sort of delaying it a little bit. Um Steadying himself and then the, the finish is incredible, really, considering that there's two Borough players on the line and he puts it over the top of the ball of them. But, yeah, Coventry got that goal uh, and, yeah, I, I can't lie. It, it, it did kill the game a little bit. We did say how important that first goal would be and if they got it, then they'd do what they usually do. And in those games where Reside's playing away from home, the time waste they just... Who fit long and in fairness to them it worked That Please. that's that's their tact that's the tactic that's the tactic they've got Jokka rest there and he can he can occupy two centre-halves by himself and um, playing the ball into channels for him is uh is their tactic it worked really well and I think something that I saw yesterday uh in the build-up to this playoff and uh, so in the build-up to the playoff final and also as it was going on, and a lot of people are, are in there saying, Oh, it's a missed opportunity. Look at the state of both these teams. All the do is want to play it long and win second balls and whatever. But one thing that I did see was the quote: Styles make fights and the do. Um, we of course want to play in a way where we keep the ball a lot and play intricate passing around the box and create chances that way Coventry and Luton want to play in a way which is a little bit more direct a little bit more physical and in the end uh, the physical uh, sort of attributes of Coventry came to the fore and they they were able to uh, outwit Middlesbrough that way Um, and then yesterday of course everyone will have watched the playoff final to see what sort of went on and you could see that Coventry were 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 completely just battered in that first half by Luton, uh, a side that wanted to play physical against them, bullied McFadzine, Um, and something that was quite interesting to see was the Coventry in the playoff final wanted to be a little bit more expansive, leave a little bit more space in behind, and I mean. It just goes to show what can happen if if there was that space in behind because Adebayo bullied McFadden for the first goal and uh, yeah it just goes to show that uh, styles make fights and for this for this particular game Middlesbrough uh, and their their passing game didn't sort of turn up uh, the extra few notches that were needed to uh, to beat this Coventry side so. Yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. But, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll hopefully have a, a good summer um, where a few more ideas are conveyed to the players of what to do in scenarios like that where a team is resolute to break down to a point where they're playing five at the back, four central midfielders and one up front. Yeah. Um, and, yeah we'll we'll just have to see if uh if we're able to do if we're able to compete in uh, knockout football um in the future but hopefully we won't need that because we'll be lifting a trophy at the end of next season anyway
0: yeah that that certainly sounds like an ideal scenario I don't think I can do any more playoff halfway <laughs> I'd just like to have it wrapped up similar similarly to uh to Burnley and and Sheffield United in the end in fairness who at one stage in the season, you felt we were on the tails and obviously that uh, quite ironically tailed off um, after that that dreadful afternoon in Huddersfield. Um, obviously, just putting Coventry to bed now and sort of reflecting on the, on the full season before we do that, just to sort of emphasise how much of a, of a typical Borough moment in history this may. Well, well, it is, let's be honest, and people will look back on it like that. It ended, Nathan, that we were the only side with home advantage in the second leg not to advance, and we were also the only team out of all of the playoffs to not score a goal. So if ever we needed a sort of Grant Ledbetter staring at Norwich lifting the trophy type moment or... I guess that's a moment in itself that we failed to produce. But uh, yeah, that's that's the sort of little stat that going into next season, that's got to be the only ambition to uh, to right those wrongs because, yeah, typical Borough, dear me. We, we, we signed up for a life of pain, didn't we,
1: Reid? Yeah, we did. And also in the last five playoff games that Middlesbrough were involved in, we haven't scored a goal so uh there's a there's another one for you but yeah, yeah like the lifetime of pain continues but it doesn't matter we'll be back uh and and, and uh it, it makes the uh the sort of moments of, of victory and promotion and and the highs it makes them higher when you experience lows um and I wouldn't have it any other way because I was I was so proud of those players for, for what they've given us this season. And uh, yeah, I think, I think a lot of fans in that stadium were uh, on that Wednesday night that, that stayed back and applauded those players around the pitch because they, they've given us a really, really good season. And uh, yeah, hopefully the building blocks are now in place for uh, an even more successful one next season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the season that have just talked about there, it, it started in real strange circumstances, didn't it? I mean, you look back now and I think, to be honest, you go back to our first podcast of the season. Everything still seemed to be up in the air up until really the transfer window slammed shut. I mean, we lost Marcus Tavenier on the eve of the season almost. Um, I think he was announced as a Bournemouth player, actually, on the day of the first game, or maybe the day after, which, I mean, was at that time an absolute hammer blow. I mean, some of the names that we were chasing, there was bids being chucked in for Jorgen Strand Larsen, who, quite hilariously, turned out to be a massive flop, really, at Celta Vigo. Tuba Akpom was just a name that was filling a gap um, who else? Emil Reese, there was talk of big money moves for him. Alex Mauert was going to be the, the saviour in midfield. Rodrigo Muniz was going to be the number nine that we'd craved for so long. And I mean, what transpired in the early part of the season was pretty much the baggage of I think a number of months, real sort of heads. Crashing together at at sort of management and boardroom level, Chris Wilder, we know now, evidently, was wanting to go in a certain direction. We all saw the names Dwight Gale, um, and obviously some of the names that I've mentioned. I think Dwight Gale was the one where really
1: McGoldrick as well.
0: My goodness, he ended up League One, albeit had a good season, but yeah, quite worrying thought really. Um. Yeah, he was at a medical stage, I believe, and that one got sort of scrapped in the end. Uh, But, yeah, it it was a a weird time. And, I mean, going back, really, in hindsight, it sort of never really felt right from the moment that, you don't have to ask me that, um, gate, shall we call it, was uh, going on at the back end of last season. And I just don't think the whole relationship ever got back on track after that. Listen, we obviously uh, speak to a few people and and by all accounts, Chris Wilder definitely wanted to leave Middlesbrough when uh, Burnley came calling. So yeah, um, quite ironic to see the man himself now picking up jobs in League One, supposedly. So that turned out to be a very good decision for him. Nice to see a bit of karma coming back to the people that it needs to. Uh, But, yeah, obviously, we had that period, which, honestly, I don't even want to talk about. Ironically, Coventry was the game where it all ended for him. Um, An awful afternoon, not only seeing Chris Wilder in a beige jumper, ignore the travelling fans, um, but also an honestly dreadful performance. Then we had that weird spell of... Leo taking over, and obviously we got Hayden Hackney out of that, which is a a major, major shining light in the season. But even for that period, we got a few important results, but it was overall pretty negative, because at one stage we all thought Lee carton was getting the job. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Gary O'Neill's name was being banded around, and actually, in fairness, he's done a very good job at Bournemouth, so perhaps he'll be sort of looking at some of them comments and thinking, well, actually... I've made you all look a bit silly. But regardless, the season really started when Michael Carrick arrived, Nathan. It's just been a a wonderful ride. And honestly, after that Preston game, I distinctly remember us having a conversation. We basically decided to sort of give the podcast a miss for a week and then sort of reconvene in the next game. I can't remember who that would have been. Maybe it's Hull, actually. Oh. And we had a conversation around that time and basically said this has this team has all, all of the criteria and the sort of look of a team that could well go down, that just don't really have the fight, don't really have that connection. We've got a lot of loan players which aren't just quite doing it. And we just, I mean, from from the team that were chasing down Sheffield United, it was categorically light years apart. And I mean, all credit to Michael Carrick and Jonathan Woodgate and Aaron Danks for that because, wow, Nathan, how good were we at times?
1: We were unbelievable. And you could see certain signs of it from those uh, those early games as well with... uh, the whole game and, and that Ryan Giles slash own goal. Um the the sort of passage of play, switching it from right to left in a pass. Um Tube Pom going on a remarkable run of scoring in uh four four of four games at the start of Carrick's tenure. Um and the the one week um prior to the into the international break the world cup break um where it was blackpool away and norwich away in the same week and looking at those fixtures at the time i think we were sat in something like 20th place and blackpool may have just been ahead of us in 18th
0: yeah Black- yeah that stage the win yeah. that yeah. didn't it?
1: yeah and and going into that game you thought oh, this could be a really big game actually and we went there, and it was probably one of the most one-sided away performances I've ever seen. And like, that's not even trying to be any any sort of bias into it. We were unbelievable that night, um, just zipping the ball around them. We were all laying about sixty minutes. It was it was fantastic. Um, and then following that up with a performance away at Norwich. A ground that historically we are very very poor at and we go there start slowly can see the first goal um, in, in about 10 minutes and you think this could be a long afternoon of hearing samba de janeiro um, but then borough sort of just turn it around uh, in the second half come out like a, a team possessed and riley mcgree scores arguably the goal of the season with a ridiculous finish in at the top corner. And then a last minute goal from Crooksen, you think, oh, well, we are now really in business and this international break couldn't have come at a worse time, really. Um, And then I remember thinking as the break's gone on, and I think we played Hibernian in the break and we beat them. And then, um, it it was Luton first game back after the break. And Luton, uh, okay, like I'm now speaking in hindsight of them going up, but I think they're always a side where I look at them and I think it'll be a difficult game, but I always feel like we have enough to beat them. Yeah. And it was actually Rob Edwards' first game as well. And prior to Carrick coming in, Edwards' name was banded about for the borough job as well. And you you kind of wanted to see what both coaches were about. Borough came and uh, came back from from one nil down and and won that game. And then it was Burnley. Uh, that one was uh, of course like the button of two heads, two Manchester clubs uh, legends, button heads. And uh, yeah, that wasn't to be, and it sort of gave us a little bit of a of a marker of where we want to be. Um, and that we are a little bit shy of of the top team in the division, but we still, we still did okay to compete with them and then we went on a remarkable, remarkable run over Christmas. And those sort of periods over Christmas are uh, some of my favourite times as a football fan where you have Boxing Day, um, which is in the recent years has usually been at home for Borough, which... I mean, there's nothing better than going to the Riverside on Boxing Day and Borough pick up a customary three points because it happens every year. Um, And and then I think we had Blackbird and Birmingham over over the sort of New Year week and beat them both. And you just thought, wow. I think that was the first time we actually entered the playoffs. Around that time. And I thought, oh shit, we are really in business now. This could be unbelievable. And yeah, I think I think probably November, December time when Carrick had just sort of come in. And you sort of as you're moving on throughout throughout those two months, you're thinking, well, we're bound to see a defeat soon and the bounce will stop and you'll just sort of level out as to where you are. And We didn't. We didn't level out. We just sort of continued along the same lines, and that was so good to see that it wasn't a bounce. That it was just this is Michael Carrick getting the best out of his Middlesbrough players, and yeah, of course that then brought January and uh, a few additions to the side.
0: Yeah, it did, and obviously two huge loan signings. Obviously the addition of Dan Barlaster as well, which I think, in fairness. At that stage, obviously, Hayden Hatney had emerged. We sort of knew that it was going to be ever so difficult for Ballas to really stake a claim in that team because at that time and obviously for the rest of the season, even up until Johnny Allison picked up that knock, it, there was really no opportunities, um, at least in, in the sort of so-called must-win games, Um that Dan bar was really going to get a sniff in midfield. But anyway, yes, the the two loan signings, Aaron Ramsey on deadline day, wasn't it? And obviously Cameron Archer was in quite early on in the window. And remarkably, when you look back now, Cameron Archer we had from the first week of January and really he didn't start playing games until February, I don't think. Um, I seem to remember him coming on at Sunderland away on the right wing and looking decent, um, showing his pace off a little bit. And we all thought, yeah, it's about time. Obviously, the big tree had done his job as the number nine. And in fairness, obviously, Birmingham away, that was his that was his real moment of the season, I guess. Um, yeah, and then Cameron Archer uh, come into the team. And at that stage, you really thought, after the next few games, got a few goals. And you really thought, right, that was sort of, the final piece of the jigsaw in this team, where Chuba's playing off him, we've got Riley McGree and Marcus Force, um, who'd obviously had a change in role, um, and and yeah, as I say, you you were looking at that team and thinking, wow, God, this this, it wasn't at the stage quite yet where we were we were up against, so I say up against, it was never sort of. I don't think it was ever within sort of one point, but we were growing into the chase of, of Sheffield United. Um, and then, I mean, we'll sort of, I almost want to talk about it in a separate way because, spoiler, when we do our awards, that's my sort of performance of the season because, yeah, Sheffield United was a... a, a well performance. But, yeah, we'll we'll go on to that a little bit later when we do our awards. But, yeah, Aaron Ramsey comes into the team. And I personally felt that when Aaron Ramsey was in the team, I think it was around about the time we played Reading. We give them an absolute thumping at the Riverside. um, And I thought that was the best football we were playing throughout the full season. There was a couple of game periods where even when we were being set back, we'd follow it up with an almighty reaction and having that interchangeable front three of Ramsey, McGree and Atpom or Ramsey Fours and Atpom obviously behind um, Cameron Archer. It, it, it was just goals, goals, goals. And something that, as you say, probably some of the most enjoyable football as a Middlesbrough fan, because, Typically, we don't really score goals and they were just coming in abundance. Um, and then obviously, skipping forward a little bit, we get to the international break. Huddersfield ruins the chances of any automatic promotion push. And then from that, from that afternoon onwards, really, it was it was all about the playoffs. And obviously, in the end. Momentum, injuries, sort of both played the part in really derailing the season um, in, in truth. And obviously, we, we then found ourselves in the playoffs. And listen, we're not going to go back into that. We've already been down that route and uh, ripped the bandage off to talk about that. Um, but yeah, Nathan, it, it was a, a roller coaster, obviously, a new manager. And in fairness, The way I'm looking at it now is almost two separate seasons, almost three separate seasons in one, the sort of Wilder Leo era. Then we had Carrick's season, I guess. And then the playoffs are a whole different ballgame anyway. And, yeah, I think Carrick's tenure was just, yeah, as you say, for me personally, obviously, uh, we're both similar ages, but I, I think we'll have to do very well again unless we have serious, serious glory days to, to get to that level of football and enjoyment from the way we were playing for for hopefully not for too long because next season could be we could go on better. But in terms of that period, as you say, where you just felt there was going to be a defeat that would pop the bubble almost and it never really seemed to come until obviously that Huddersfield game. But yeah an up and down season and one that regardless of what other team's fans want to say, one that I'll remember with massive fondness, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it's certainly one of the seasons that I've had following Middlesbrough that I remember with a lot of fondness because of so many different things in terms of so many side stories that were going on um, as the season season was going on. But yeah, it was... uh, a truly remarkable season and it gave me a lot of really good memories going and and, and traveling uh, to and from home games, to and from away games and uh, just, yeah, um, doing everything Middlesbrough Football Club, recording this podcast, being joyous after wins. It was, it's been fantastic. And yeah, um, hopefully everything sort of stays in place uh, throughout the summer um, looking forward to next season and and hopefully we can give it a real good go again next season with a full season of Michael Carrick. Whereas you, you, there's always going to be that sort of what-if moment. What if we had Michael Carrick from, from the start of this season? And you look at some of the teams that we played um, throughout those... Uh, those sort of wilder and uh, and Leo months where there was Cardiff at home who eventually stunk the gaff out and finished just above uh, points-deducted Reading away who, under Paul Lince, stunk the gaff out for the second half of the season and we went there and got beat. Um, yeah, th- th- there was plenty of of results at the start of the season where you look back and you think how on earth have we have we gone there or how on earth have they come here and beat us? And yeah, you, you look back and think, well, even if you just pick up a point there or if you yeah. just sort of win that game that was slightly tight like Huddersfield at home, um, then, you, then you never know, do you? But yeah, it wasn't to be this season, but it's been a fantastic, fantastic season in terms of the football that we've watched, the stories that have come from it. Um, recording these podcasts, the growth of the Baropolis Twitter page once again. Um, it, it's been fantastic and a, a season of growth and positivity. So yeah, hopefully next season brings us uh even more of that because yeah, hopefully we'll we'll be seeing um the Middlesbrough admin on Twitter in May next year, just hammering me with. I don't know, trophy pictures or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? I'm already, my mind's already imagining what could be. But, um, yeah, as I sort of hinted at earlier, we thought we'd have our own little award ceremony. I I don't think either of us are particularly dressed (laughs) the occasion. Um, But, yeah, I, I, I think some of the awards, listen, obviously... there's other podcasts that'll have done their awards already. And most answers may well be similar because it's been a case of there's been so many standout players and moments, but, uh, yeah, well, we're going to have a go at ourselves. So first of all, listen, there's two awards which for me are absolutely nailed on certainties. I have, I, we haven't spoken about who we want to give these sort of awards to before we started recording, but player of the season and young player of the season, of course, young player of the season is Hayden Hackney. and player of the season, I think is obviously Matt Clark.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we knew it was coming, knew it was coming Big Clarky. but in all seriousness now, uh, in all seriousness, what was he called, Baldini at the start of the season? With yeah, at was Swansea.
0: Swansea at home performance. We all thought we'd signed Beckenbauer. <laughs> yeah, the, the bald Beckenbauer, I think people were banding around. So, uh, no, I mean, that, that's a situation in itself, which is sort of still, it's a little bit unknown as to what's actually happened there. Um, but no, of course I am joking. Tupor player of the season, Hayden Hatley young player of the season. Narratives from the pair of them in, in the fact that it's it sort of just come out of nowhere. Obviously Hayden Hatley, we all know, had a loan spell at Scunthorpe who, I mean, you used the phrase "stunk the gaff out earlier. They absolutely stunk the whole of the AFL out, got relegated. Um, and it was a bit of a treacherous loan spell really. Hayden Hatley, I think, got suspended for spitting at someone, which... When you watch him play now, is, yes, he's, he's a tough tackler, but I'd hope that he's learned from that. Um, and he comes in under Craig Little and, and Leo and then never lost his place in the team. And I mean, what an impact Michael Carrick's had on him.
1: Yeah, he's been, he's been an absolute revelation since he came in, really. Um, next to Johnny Housen in there, I think that you'll be probably lucky to find a, a better sort of midfield duo in the division. Uh, than Hayden Hackney and Johnny Housing. and um, yeah, in the last sort of few months as well you've seen that he can play a few different positions with him going and playing in that wide left role Um, in the Norwich game and then he played in it in the whole game as well, so it shows that he can play a, a range of positions and yeah, he's, he's played particularly well in, in the middle of the park and that is so difficult to do um, for, for a young player as well to to come in and just sort of pick up the reins so easily and, and fit in so comfortably to a side that are playing in a in, in a sort of way that involves him a lot. Um, you look at playing out from the goalkeeper with Stefan, knocking it into the middle of the park and you you, you have to know as a midfielder where all your passing options are and where everyone is because the the makeup passes out and things like that. And his decision-making, more often than not, has, has been fantastic. Um, I can't remember him really making too many uh, errors that have been sort of decisive in terms of conceding goals. But in terms of driving us forward as well, fantastic. Great at carrying the ball through midfield. We saw that in the uh, Sheffield United game. Uh, where he laid in Archer um and in the Cardiff game which was after that which he again laid in Archer um and then yeah he, he he's brought goals to his game as well in the last sort of few few months especially with with the Norwich game and um also the whole game as well so yeah we've we've definitely got a really good young player on our hands and the hope is that we can keep him I think that we will because um, he signed a new deal uh, at the club when when he'd sort of made his first few appearances, which, it, which is massively important. It can't go understated that the club have acted really well there, tying him down to a long-term deal. Um, and we're starting to see sort of a few daft rumours that teams in the Premier League are, are sniffing around him, which... I mean, no one's really surprised. He's performed really well, and of course, he's he's only twenty-one as well. So, yeah, he's he's making his way up uh, quite quickly, uh, and I think that another season in the championship, playing for a side that are going to be dominating the ball very much, so um, that that it'll only help to improve his development. And the only sort of qualm uh, or negative that I have with Hayden Hackney's game is sort of his pet uh, being petulant at-, at-, at times, just sort of kicking out of players. Just, if he eradicates that from his game... He's, I don't want
0: uh, out of his game, Nathan. I, li- I like that about him. I mean, yes, okay, over the course of the season, he may well pick up quite a few suspensions. But, yeah. He may grow out of it, but it almost makes me like him a little bit more that he sort of, you know, if it's not going his way, he will just leave one in on someone. I quite like that. I'm not going to lie.
1: Yeah, but you, you don't know. I mean, at, at, at one point or another, the EFL officials are going to get it right and send him off at some yeah. point. Is- um. So, yeah. And I mean, enough about them. Said the better. We're not discussing them in any awards because they're not winning out. But, yeah. Yeah. I'll let you uh, discuss player of the year, which obviously Clark, he's had a remarkable season, but no, <laughs> go on, Chris. Uh, no, obviously,
0: I think we've, we, it's almost, we're at the stage now where we've spoken about it. Right. Ironically, in episode one of this season's podcasts, up until, well, there was no up until really, it, every single podcast we've mentioned his name because. He has been the story of the season, the story of, you could honestly say one of the stories of probably the last decade, of, of, of not just Middlesbrough I'm talking about. He, quite frankly, let's be completely truthful about it, we both laughed off the thought of Tuba Pom coming in and being even just a striker in Chris Wilder's squad at the start of the season. It was it was a case of he's sort of just hanging around until he goes. He, he'd, been, he'd been told by Wilder that he was in the same camp as Uche Iqpiesu, and he, he was on the transfer list, and when a club come in for him, he could go. For whatever reason, that didn't transpire. We get to the Marseille friendly. He's in the squad. And around about that time, um, Michael Manning, who we've done a little thread for on Twitter, obviously has done some amazing graphics for us throughout this season. I remember getting tagged in a post on, on, on Twitter and seeing the Tuba train. And I thought, where's that come from? Where on earth has a train with Tuberac Akpom, with sunglasses on, reflecting the Premier League come from. It's a madman, whoever's created that. Um, And how wrong was that? Because it become... Well, it it, it literally become recognised across the whole of the AFL. Throughout every award that he picked up for the remainder of the season, the train was being acknowledged. The club are on board... It, it become, I mean, in the off-season, we're going to have to do some serious maintenance to some of the carriages because it's at a capacity where it's become a real problem, really. Um, but in all seriousness, I mean, he gets them two goals against Sheffield United. And he then picked up a bit of an injury, didn't he? And he was out up until, I remember, Strangely enough, again, I think he returned for the Coventry game, which was Wilder's last game. I um, can't remember if he started that day or come on as a sub. I think he may well have come on as a substitute, actually. And, yeah, um, obviously Wilder goes. He, he was, even at that stage of the season, if he'd gone on and scored 10 goals, it would have been a remarkable story, just because of the fact that he'd he come out from the cold. Uh, into the team and, and was really helping us out massively because, let's be honest, we didn't get the targets that we were after. He then goes on and, and scores a few during Leo's little spelling charge. Then Michael Carrick wanders through the door and the story goes, in the words of Tuba, he was pulled uh, early on, in one of Michael Carrick's training sessions, and he said, "Tuba, basically, got a little bit of an idea for you, mate. I want to try you slightly deeper, withdraw you ever so slightly, and let him have a bit more of freedom, a little more, a little bit more of the ball, um, the opportunity to make late runs and anticipate all those right Giles crosses, and from that point." He exploded, didn't he? He he is has he been a joy to watch. And I think I, I've spoke about narratives and, and stories in the redemption arc, arguably from my full-time following Middlesbrough. That could be my favourite ever story of one player because it's just been... It is honestly... I don't know if Hollywood scriptwriters are busy over the summer But if they are looking for a documentary-style movie to make up, then you've got your story there.
1: Yeah, you do. And how ironic that a man who wasn't given a squad number at the start of the season and was just sort of handed the 29 shirt comes out with 29 goals in all competitions this season, Um, 28 league goals. Um, and the Championship Golden Boot winner, the Championship Player of the Year winner. Yeah, I mean, nobody could have predicted it at the start of the season. It was laughed at, me and you on this podcast. As as said, we're, we're taking the piss about the Tuba train. And yeah, it just sort of became like a, a long-running joke that was slowly becoming a reality and yeah it, it became recognized by the club T's tuber himself it was um yeah it's it's a joke that has uh become almost like a trademark and yeah. um we probably should do that actually yeah probably but yeah it it, it was simply the season of a lifetime for True And for everything that I've seen from him as a man and as a person, he, he deserves every ounce of this success. Um yeah, he, he's been fantastic. And by God, do we hope that he can, can continue this form uh into next season. But everyone else um listening to this podcast, I'd put a a bet on. At the start of the season, once he'd scored his two goals against Sheffield uh, United, just as a joke to send to Chris to say, Yeah, it's happening. I had no sort of faith that it was happening. Chew Brackpon was 50 to 50 to one at the time to be championship top goalscorer. scorer. And uh, looking back, I just wish I put my life savings on it, but I only put a couple of quid on it. And, uh, Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't put my house on it because I'd be a very rich man otherwise. But yeah, Tube Rackpum has earned me uh, a nice little quick book. I think uh, it's fair to say. So thanks for that as well, Tuba, as well as all these fantastic moments.
0: Yeah, do you know what? I've seen a few people at the end of the season get a, a nice payout from that. So listen, it just goes to show, if if you believe in something enough, like we did with the tuba, tripping from minute one, then anything's possible. Um, you no, know, obviously, as as we say, I'll happily admit that we both, we both laughed it off, and by goodness, I've never been so happy to be proven wrong. Um, and as you say, from him showing his little boy chanting his name whilst watching compilations of his dad, I mean, it's just been so endearing. Obviously, we we saw at the full-time whistle after Coventry, how distraught he was. And it was it was really hard to watch, to be honest, because as you say, it's been almost like a fairy tale, the season of a lifetime. And I just really hope that if he does stay, it, it continues because I think it'll be a real shame not only for us as fans but for Tuber himself where he, he just he, he spoke about it in his BBC T's interviews and things like that that this season felt different. He was better in a better headspace mentally, you know, just something just felt a little bit different for him and it, it just clicked and obviously he's had a very good team around him, but he's been the shining light, as I say. And uh yeah, hopefully, Nathan, 28th of May today, the 29th of May tomorrow, which Ironically, is actually my birthday as well. If the club have got anything about them, on the 29th of the month, they will mark the day with a new contract for Borough's 29, who got 29 goals in the season, and get that announced on socials. Um, because, yeah, I mean, we're at the stage now where he is a wanted man by all accounts. I'm sure there'll be interest over the summer. And I just want us to stand stand firm because... I think he deserves it. I think he deserves that team to be built around him over the summer and for him to have a, a, another crack at really having a goal with Michael Carrick. And, yeah, let, let's hope we keep hold of him and he extends his stay and fires us to a promotion next season with even more goals, see if he can hit 30 next term. Um, but, yeah, enough on those two. Nathan, um, I've said it earlier best performance of the season we had quite a few I went with Sheffield United away I mean it was just one of them obviously personally for me at that time of the season I was away I was in Bali and set an alarm for I think it was three in the morning or two in the morning um over there and by the goodness I've never been so happy to be awake at that time in my life um it was a very strange experience, but what a performance. The same night as the first Manchester City Arsenal game of the season as well, I seem to remember. And we had, uh, we had a bit of a dual sort of monitor going on, one laptop and one iPad. And of course, my eyes were, were firmly fixated on an absolute dismantling of that Sheffield United side. Cameron Archer, that was his real moment of the season where you thought, oh my God. We, this is clipped into action here. Yeah. Um, and at that stage, I mean, Shef, Sheffield United, let's have it for And they can paint whichever picture they want now. And full credit to them, they, they held firm in the end, despite a little bit of a wobble and got over the line. But on that night, they all thought, yeah, we're in bother here. We're in real, real big trouble. Jack Robinson was starting on his own fans. There was a few serious head losses. The away end was phenomenal. I was jumping around in Bali at God knows what time of the morning. And also, Nathan, I believe you were in attendance that night. Michael Carrick. I think you could feel how big of a win it was at that stage because Michael Carrick gave it the old sort of fist bumps or one of them, you know, to the away end. and, yeah, it, it felt like a big moment. It obviously, in the end, it was still a big moment, but didn't turn out to what we all thought it might be. But for me, that that was my performance of the season.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's the standout, I can't, I can't lie. Um, it was a night where you were sort of holding out hope. We were, we were third at the time. And, yeah, the gap to Chef United was something like 10 points or something like that. And you're just sort of thinking, well, our record here's like really bad. Last time we were here last season, we got absolutely annihilated 4-1. And you're just sort of thinking, can we do something? It it takes something really special to get a result here on, on this night, but can we do something? And uh yeah, uh, we nearly threw ourselves up shit creek immediately, going one nil down, and then giving McAtee a one on one in the first five minutes, and then Jai as well. So we could have been three nil down in about five minutes, but we uh, we survived, only going only going one nil down, and you just sob or sort of stand up and just grow into the game from probably minute ten. We were the better team, um, and we created a good few chances in the first half. Um, got that goal through Tuba, which again is probably one of one of my favourite goals of the season. Probably just because of the way that he sort of stands the defender up, sits him on his ass by shimmying. And then fires the ball in the bottom corner in on the sky coverage. You could hear the net crack as he leathers it in the bottom corner. Um, and also sort of the commentary goes really well with it as well. But yeah, um, and then obviously the second half happens and we score quite quickly after half time, which makes a change considering we usually concede. Um Archer gets that goal and then you sort of having to weather the storm a little bit, and then uh the, the third goal comes, and you have uh, Don Goodman crying on Sky because it was a foul on Mcatee. Although they had about twenty five passes in between, but yeah, Cameron Archer stood up to the four that night, put his two chances away, and uh, yeah, or ran out three one winners. It was a really really good performance. From the, the team. It wasn't like a standout of one or two players. It was everyone to a man. Um, Zach Stefan was fantastic that night as well. Made two or three really good saves. And yeah, I'd i agree with you, Chris. That was our that was our performance of the season. Um and yeah, at the time it felt really, really big because they were starting to falter and in fairness to them, after the break, they were really resolute. They got those wins and they got themselves over the line in the end. And, yeah, fair play to them. Over the course of the season, they they, they deserved it because they started really well um, and probably only had maybe five games in which they were sort of having a blip. Yeah. Whereas you look at our start, and it was about fifteen games, so you, you can't really do anything about that. But yeah, it's all about what ifs. And um, yeah, what if we had Michael Carrick from the start of the season? Then that game could have pro- possibly been a, a proper automatic promotion decider, where the gap was possibly three points or level even. And uh, it would have made it a whole lot more interesting. But yeah, Borough were all were always chasing, and Sheffield uh, United did really well to beat us off.
0: Yeah, they absolutely did. And listen, there's there's two awards left, but one of them, I guess, is somewhat of a negative. And in any football season, there's there's going to be somewhat of a letdown or or something which which makes wish that had gone differently. So, firstly for the penultimate award of the award show Nathan will do the sort of it, it doesn't necessarily have a name it, it can be anything you like it can be a performance it can be a player it can be a, a complete individual moment but sort of an underwhelming point of the season where you might have thought well this could be great and it wasn't or just a result in general what what was that sort of moment of the season for
1: you uh i mean i'm gonna cheat and i'm gonna give you two and they're both performances right Um, one of which was reading away which dear god set off at half six in the morning got there played three at the back (laughs) Dale Fry was playing as a right-sided centre-half that was trying to overlap, but <laughs> couldn't really move forward. Um, Mark Baller was playing left centre-half that day. Rodrigo Muniz and Neil Bowser were in the stands.
0: Um, <laughs> in hands with his head in his hands. I've just remembered that moment.
1: Um, and, like, he's just looking and thinking... What on earth is going on? It. I think it was possibly September, that where the game was. Um, and, I mean, it's depressing enough going to Reading anyway because the, the stadium's like a morgue, but getting beat there as well. Oh God, it was horrendous, and um, I, I, I can't really remember having a shot either. Really.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's never good for an away game. But I seem to remember we also discussed. The uh, an even bigger problem perhaps than the performance, and that is a serious problem because we were dreadful that day. I seem to remember you getting uh, paying about seven quid for a lukewarm beer, which you were yeah. devastated about.
1: Well, yeah, uh, that was a that was also at Reading. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that that pointless club are not going to be in the league anymore. But it is what it is. Uh, and then my other moment of the season was Millwall. Away, which was Leo was in charge for that one, and at that time, I don't know what was possessing me to go to games. If I'm honest, because yeah. because at, at, at the time, I think that me well, I I do know what was possessing me. It was because I I like to go to games and like to tick off grounds, and I hadn't been to the den. But setting off it again a daft o'clock in the morning to go to the den and looking at the league table, seeing Borough sort of in the bottom five. I can't really remember where we were. Um, Leo was in charge. Um, I think we'd just come off the back of... I think we'd played Birmingham and we beat Birmingham and I thought, all right, well, you never know. Millwall at the den. It'd be uh, quite good to see Leo patting the badge at the away end when we uh, win 1-0 after a goal off Jake Cooper's backside. Mm. But, yeah, we were 1-0 down within five minutes from a deflected free kick. Um, and then the defending for the second goal was nothing short of ca- catastrophic, really. It was calamitous. Uh, Matthew Hoppy had a ding-dong with a ball boy. Um which was probably one of the standout moments of the day. Yeah. Um, And at full time, just sort of seeing the away end and the people that were there that day, there'd been train strikes on the day. And like looking at Borough's away support, usually, you know, it's fantastic. And that day, I'm sure there was only like just over a thousand at the Mm -hmm. Den. And to me, I look at that and I think, that like that's that that's like Middlesbrough in a real sort of sticky situation because fans will travel no matter what's going on, really. But yeah, the, the crowd was sort of de- dejected, just sort of flat. I was having conversations with fans, and they were saying to me, Look, you're a young lad. What are you thinking of spending your money like coming and following and watching this load of SHIT? And I'm thinking, because I've just like you just want to keep the faith type thing. And yeah, it was it was a really, really sort of horrible moment in the season. I remember sort of writing a tweet at the time with my view from the den and just saying someone from the club needs to come out and give us answers because we've we had Leo in charge. There was talk of Carrot coming in, but it was delayed and delayed and delayed for about two weeks. And you just didn't know what was going on. Um, in the weeks following that, there was Blackburn at home and I'd travelled home that day from uh, from Lincoln and there was train strikes that day. It was a ball ache to get home. And within 20 minutes, we were 2-0 down. And it got to a point where I think we played Huddersfield. and that was the, That was the final game before Carrick came in. And uh, I actually didn't travel home for that one because I thought, what's the point? They, they still haven't appointed him. And it's been three weeks since I was at the den. What is the point of me traveling home to watch us? I think we were we were third bottom and they were bottom at the time. And I just thought, both teams are horrendous. There's no point in me paying 50 quid to come home this weekend. So probably those three weeks are. Uh, a standout moment as worst sort of moment of the season, but I'm just glad now that they've turned it around. And we've got a manager that's uh, I mean, I'm not not sort of putting any sort of um negative on Leo, but a manager that knows what he's doing really in that role. Um, and 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 a team that actually want to um want to fight and also on the Millwall game, leaving the den. And for some reason, the bus driver decided to, instead of turning and going east and sort of around London, he decided to go west and drive us through central London. Um Yeah, seeing the sights of the Thames, the Shard, Tower. In fact, we did actually drive over Tower Bridge. I <laughs> don't know what the driver was thinking. But we-
0: after a drab, performance. Yeah, I can't imagine that was um, anything that you'd signed up for.
1: No, yeah. it wasn't and getting home at midnight as well, but anyway, yeah, the things we do supporting this team, but there you are, Chris, your worst moments slash moments of the season.
0: Um, I, I went sort of instead of worse, I sort of went underwhelming um, and I, because you've had two, I'm just basically going to do exactly the same and have two as well. The first one, honestly, Nathan, it breaks my heart. The the signing of Rodrigo (laughs) Muniz. I I mean, for 18 months, we chased this guy. And let's be honest, the season under Warnock, when Neil Bowser and Leo were jetting about sunning themselves in Brazil, trying to get a deal done, I, I honestly ruined ruined my sleeping pattern to the point where I was tweeting on Baropolis it sort of 1-2 in the morning <laughs> and thinking, what am I doing here? What am I doing? Uh, obviously, Fulham ended up getting the deal done. Then, a uh, couple of weeks before the season starts, get no vacation on Baropolis. Can someone explain why Rodrigo Munez is just like my tweet? <laughs> Obviously, he done a bit of digging. And uh, he, quite frankly, was just trying to engineer the move himself. He, uh, he knew he wasn't going to play for Fulham in the Premier League, so he just started. I think he, a couple of retweets. Uh, every, pretty much, Middlesbrough fan that mentioned him a tweet, he dropped them a like. Uh, and it became become a saga of its own again. And then, all of a sudden, um, the medical was announced. He signed. It was... The sort of saga of all sagas, and it finally come to an end. And in fairness, I thought he started off well. He had, a, I think, he come off the bench against God. This is really racking my brain now. He come off the bench, possibly Swansea. I want to say. I think he yeah. come off the bench.
1: yeah, because he started a fight, didn't he? When uh, Jones got Cabango sent off. And Muni's was right over there, having a, having a ding dong.
0: And I thought, and I thought straight away, I tell you what, I like a bit of this. I, I was, I was making claims on the podcast that he was going to be the number nine that uh, we were, we'd been waiting for. Um, and then I think he, he got his, he's got his goal against Watford. And then from that point onwards, it sort of just went progressively downhill from the moment where he tried to chip. The Watford keeper from the halfway line at 1-1, which then proceeded in Watford's attack and winner in the 93rd or 4th minute. And, yeah, it was, I mean, it just turned out to be an absolutely dreadful lone spell for him. Um, and I, I, I was really good at that it worked out sort of the way it did because I had huge high hopes for him. Just from the transfer saga in itself, I thought, yeah, it's meant to be. And it just wasn't at all, was it? I mean, he spent the majority of the second half of the season, not even in the squad. We tried to shift him in January and couldn't get Fulham to take him back to for him to go elsewhere. And yeah, uh, uh, by all accounts, a nice enough guy, even when he wasn't in the squad, still supporting the team and, and tweeting about us and things like that. He obviously come on for a cameo, looting away. Uh, got some minutes in the middle's pressure. We never thought we'd see him again. And then he, he's gone back to Fulham now. But, God, a major disappointment. I really thought it was going to work out for him, Nathan, and it just didn't, did it?
1: No, it didn't. And speaking about that Watford game, I was in attendance there as well. And uh, I had a Brazil flag with me uh, that day. Uh, when he scored, you best yeah. be- best believe I was flying down rows um, with this Brazil flag in hand, singing the uh, Rodrigo chant that sort of was doing the rounds at the time. And, um, <laughs> yeah, conceding in the last minute, tra- a bus journey home, home at five in the morning on a Wednesday morning. Oh, yeah, nice one. But there you go, is what it is. Um, Rodrigo, we do wish it worked out better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, be funny to see where he ends up um, at the start of next season. I should tell you what, he humdings of a move to Sassuolo in Italy or something like that.
0: Yeah, possibly. And, and do you know what? I must say this different people would say different things. I don't think he ever had a horrendous performance for us. He wasn't, I'm not saying he was a terrible footballer. I think in a different style, it could potentially work out for him. But just obviously with the way things transpired, it turned out to be an absolute horrific little move for both parties. Um, and my other one, Isaiah Jones, Nathan. And looking back towards the back end of last season, it almost sort of, started at the back end of last season, his sort of decline almost. And listen, I'll, I'll sort of say before we, we, we talk about him a little bit more that actually this can happen for young players. He burst onto the scene and then a lot of the time they have a dip in form. But from the Isaiah Jones, which we saw terrorising championship defences and getting so many assists from the right, this season, similarly to, to Muniz, there was a large spell where he, he literally was not making squads. And we now know that he had a, a lot of personal things going on. And it, it can't have been an easy season for him. But in terms of, of, of underwhelming, you even thought when, when Carrick come in that, you know, originally before Wilder turned him into a right wing back, that he could be a winger. Um, and it just it just wasn't working for him, was it? And even he, when he come back into the squad, and um, I, I think it was against it was one of the Norwich or Hull games where he come mm-hmm. off the bench, yeah, mm-hmm. Hull, and and got those two assists. And we all thought, oh my God, you know, has picked up a knock, but wow, well, if we can get Isaiah Jones back to what he was for the running, then I mean, we, we've struck gold here, really. But from that point, he just sort of failed to kick on. And now obviously there's been a few reports that Middlesbrough might look to cash in. And even, even his substitute appearance in, in the playoffs, it was in the second leg of the playoffs rather. It was, it was really, really poor. And listen, it, it's a difficult game to come on to uh, come on into rather, and obviously make an impact. But there was a few crosses where he just kicked it into the South stand. Um and I hope, I really do hope, because we saw what he can do, that there's a player there. But I, I just don't know if that's a, a Middlesbrough's going to be the place for that player to, to get the best out of him. Um, I think the formation doesn't suit him at all. And I think, actually, I was listening to the You Are My Borough podcast by the the Northern Echo lads, Dom and and Scott, yesterday, and they said pretty much they think that his position is a right wing back because, actually, he doesn't have amazing strengths in terms of winger attributes of of taking players on and his final product is, is not great. But then he's also not horrifically bad at defending and I think having that bit of both where you know you can do almost half of half and half of each job uh, might suit him better and yeah I, I think if I'm honest Nathan I, I do think he'll go this summer that's just my opinion and yeah it's it's sad because obviously um, a lot of Middlesbrough fans would have argued that out of Jed Spence and him there was that massive argument that he's the better player and we all had Again, massive aspirations from this season and it just hasn't worked out. And I think if the club get a suitable offer, he will move on, um, which is which is sad. And obviously, in terms of Hayden Hackney, obviously, he had a similar sort of, Isaiah Jones, I should say, had a similar sort of skyrocket into being one of our integral players. And then we've seen what can happen to a player of that age this season. So hopefully it's not the same situation with Hayden Hackney. And I, I must say, I don't think it will but yeah, Isaiah Jones. It's it's been not a great season for him, and although there's been off off the pitch things, which you know we we hope, and obviously he's become a new father, which is I'm sure it's, it's very difficult at such a young age. But yeah, it, it's it has been disappointing. I would be lying if it, if I said it wasn't.
1: Yeah, I think of course everyone was holding out hope that the sort of tailing off of last season was sort of just down to him just being fatigued really. Um, He was the main man um, under Chris Wilder um, and he was so important to the way that we played because down the left-hand side we didn't have the same sort of output or outlet down the left-hand side. So more often than not, it was switching it back inside and switching it back out to him and just trying that way at the same time, constant. And it got to the point where teams were putting three players on him to mark him. Um, and this season, strangely enough, um, whilst we haven't seen the same Isaiah Jones um, of of last season, he's contributed more goals than he did in his um sort of ridiculous season um which which is a positive um in terms of his game but in terms of him driving at fullbacks and just butchering them we haven't seen it at at all and that can be down to either confidence or that can be possibly because of, of, of coaching but I I think it is a confidence issue, really. Um, And that whole game gave me massive hope that he was sort of coming back in and this was going to be his sort of moment where he returned back to his former self, um, tearing up that right-hand side. His crosses were more often than not on the money. But again, it it's it sort of tailed off, and perhaps that, that can be down to pressure um, of the last few games. You just don't know. But it it's it's definitely uh, proven to me that there is a player there because you don't turn into a bad player overnight or 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 across the course of one season. It's a confidence issue, and if if anyone can sort of pull that confidence back into him then uh, I trust in my character to be that man so hopefully that is the case
0: yeah hopefully um, right Nathan final award and finishing on a positive um, there's been a few good ones there's been a few meaningful ones but the final award goal of the season for me I'm going to go with the one which actually did win the club's goal of the season award which I voted for Riley McGree at Norwich, scandalous, isn't it? I mean, score it. We talked about the game sort of in the context of where we were at the time and before the international break. But in terms of the goal itself, it, it is a ridiculous finish. It is You couldn't put it more in the top corner. He scissor-kicked it from outside the box. The ball's just bounced perfectly from when force nods it down. And it is, that's the best way, scandalous. You just think, you have absolutely no right to do that, Riley McGree, and yet he did And I seem to remember in the podcast after I was raving about his sort of moustache and uh, mullet combo that he was growing prior to the World Cup. Um, and yeah, uh, it was just perfect.
1: What a goal. Yeah, I think that's that's how I sum it up and... It was probably mine as well um because I mean it's it's probably the shock factor that he's tried it and it's gone in and it's like right in the top corner um that that probably makes it the best goal because it was unexpected and it's it's gone in and it's looked as good as it did um and also I think it makes it better I was there to see it in person and the shock of of it going in in the top corner and just being, well, I suppose, headlocked by a load of randomers and just launched all over the place with people screaming in sort of like hysterical shock that it's gone in Um, it was also a really good moment in the season, so... So, yeah, it, it is probably Riley McGree's goal. Um, I think even at the time, with something like six months left of the season, everyone was saying that that was goal of the season. So, yeah, it, it goes to Riley McGree. And, yeah, he, he, again, scored a really good goal at, at Blackburn as well. That was quite a good team goal in terms of um, Borough playing down the left-hand side. Uh, Hackney's ball onto Force's head and then again Force cushioned, header down to McGree and this time it's with his weaker foot and it's a uh, side-footed volley into the top corner. And again, yeah, Riley McGree having a, a little goal of the season competition with himself with both feet. But yeah, it has to be the Norwich one for me.
0: Yeah, so that's, that's the awards done, Nathan. In terms of a couple of news lines, which obviously we should touch on, looking ahead to next season coming to the war coming to the end of obviously this season for the podcast um, Middlesbrough women now officially part of Middlesbrough Football Club obviously a, a really nice and and positive step in the right direction um, we're seeing how much women's football has grown and obviously to have that partnership i think Uh, And obviously Newcastle already have that Sunderland I believe already have that as well so for us to do it as well is is great and obviously yeah uh, there's nothing else to be said it's just a really good step in the right direction um the retained list also come out no real shocks on there goodbye to Joe Lumley Grant Hall uh, Luke Daniels as well, and the one which upset me a little bit, I'm not going to lie, Darnell Fisher, because he made that little sub-appearance, Coventry, didn't he, last game of the season, but I think we all knew that those were the players that would be exiting the club, so no real shocks so or debate about that. But, yeah, Nathan, um, those those few departed, um, and obviously the lower knees went back, which killed killed a few the the exit posts from the the lone players were just a horrendous few days uh but I think well, not over it but we're sort of coming to terms with it now at least um so Nathan um I'll, I'll let you sort of say anything that you wish in terms of obviously the sport for the podcast things like that for the for the season and obviously looking ahead um I hope it goes without saying that we will be returning next season with a podcast, of course. Um, and hopefully we can have more positive ones. But uh, yeah, Nathan, if, if you have anything to say before, we wrap up um, this Monster episode. I feel like we've been recording for about <laughs> three hours. Um, but yeah, where you go?
1: Yeah, it's been a really good season for us, I think, in terms of watching Borough and sort of having positive podcasts because at the start of the year it'll probably been a a difficult listen for some people listening to me and you sort of maybe all yeah it was it was genuinely just just a sort of massively negative atmosphere and to film podcasts in that environment it, it is tough because you're just sort of relaying the same thing every week in terms of oh yeah this went wrong um this player didn't perform really well and the system's not working why is he doing this why isn't he doing that um and then to have it all turned around by well michael carrick and his coaching staff jonathan woodgate and aaron Danks, yeah it it made the season and recording these podcasts very, very much more enjoyable. I think that's fair to say. Um, I think me and you would probably get excited to record podcasts off the back of wins. Um, and yeah, it became part of like a really good routine of, oh yeah, here's your working week or a win. Record podcast working week, borrowing win record podcast, and uh, it just happened like pretty much every week for a good few months, which was really good, um, and yeah, of course the uh, the support for for the page, and the podcast has been has been unprecedented once again, um, yeah, just hopefully stick with us for for next season. We'll be uh, very much active on the, uh, social media accounts, posting boring news. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll bring in, uh, a good fair few good players. Um, and yeah, hopefully we're come August in a bit of a different situation to what we were last August with a patched up side, a manager that didn't want to be here. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we're uh, ready to, uh, as Steve Gibson said, smash the league come August. So there I you go.
0: I didn't come back to haunt us like it did with the original comment, Nathan. That, like, <laughs> catastrophic. Uh, but no, just echoing what Nathan said. Obviously, the the support. Listen, it, it's not the biggest podcast in the world. And we really enjoy doing it. We, we really are thankful for those that, that tune in on a weekly basis and sometimes even leave a comment to say that they've enjoyed it or it's, it's what they've listened to on the way to work or coming home from work or, or whatever it is. Um, and in terms of, of, I can't really call it a New Year's resolution. I guess it's a new season re- uh, resolution. Um, I, I do want to try and get more guests on. Be you know spread it out a bit more because we 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 do heavily focus on Twitter. We've obviously got our biggest following on there, and okay, it, it probably makes sense for us to put the majority of news and information and posts and things on there. But uh, yeah, I think obviously a uh, big thanks to to Michael Mann as well, who's done done the amazing graphics. Uh, if he's still listening at this point, which he may well not be, thank you to you. Um, but yeah, try try and spread it out a little bit more, as I say use different social medias, try and get more guests on, of course, we had Neil Warnock on this season, which I mean, is going to be pretty hard to top in all honesty, but yeah, that was pretty amazing, so hopefully we can get a few more guests on And um, yeah, as I say, a massive thank you and we'll be back next season and hopefully Nathan, it'll be a, a positive one, and uh, we, we can have a a promotion special where we just get the beers out and just record for an hour and by the end of it can't speak hopefully <laughs>
1: it'd be ideal wouldn't it i think that is sat so, well it does sound like a plan for uh we'll book it in for something like may the 8th or something yeah. like that. In, be- in between the uh promotion celebration at the riverside and the open top bus around uh dundas arcade and uh, yeah, that'll be us. In fact, we'll do a live broadcast from Flair's <laughs> yeah. if we get promoted.
0: If we got promoted, I honestly wouldn't rule out a live Twitter space in the middle of Flares dance floor. So yeah, look forward to that if we do get promoted. But yeah, as ever, thank you ever so much for watching and listening. Please on YouTube, do subscribe, give us a comment, give us a like about ideas or anything for next season. We are completely open to all suggestions. Uh, by all accounts, um, so do get in contact if, if you've got any recommendations for guests or anything like that, or how we can improve, because we're always looking for ideas for that as well. Uh, audio listeners, the same goes. Obviously, thank you for, for listening, and please do like and share on on the uh, podcast platforms. But, yes, from me and Nathan, uh, for this season, that has, that has been another – not episode, Nathan – Uh, That's been another season of the Brockless podcast, our second season of the podcast, and we've really enjoyed doing it. We hope you've enjoyed listening to it. Um, A massive thank you once again. And, uh, yeah, let's hope we've got some videos about new signings to make throughout the summer and hopefully some guests. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you'll be uh, seeing or hearing from us soon. And, obviously, as always, keep an eye on Twitter for any uh, for any transfer news that might be bubbling away so yeah thank you ever so much again and that has been the second series of the Brock List podcast fire, fire, fire!